Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. What a privilege and honor uh, to be with you on this amazing Father's Day. You know what I I love is um, in Psalm chapter 24, he reveals himself as the King of glory. Aren't you glad for the King of glory? But in Hebrews, he reveals himself as the Father of glory. Come on, I feel the Father of glory in the room today. The Father's here. You know what I love about this church? It was built on the foundation of fathers. Pastor Rick, Pastor John, so many of the elders and and those, some who have gone on before, some who are in this room today. The foundation of this church is strong because it has the foundation of the Father. Amen? It's the Father's trust. It's the Father's foundation. And such a great honor, privilege to be with you. If you were to ask me when I first got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, who the most misunderstood person of the Trinity was, back 21 years ago, I would have probably told you it was Holy Spirit. He was like the wind. You didn't know where he was coming from and where he was going. And, and he made people do kind of weird things sometimes. And, and people just misunderstood. They, they misunderstood who he was. And, and that was kind of my theology or the way that I, I thought. But if you were to ask me now, 21 years later, who the mo- most misunderstood person of the Trinity is, I would tell you it's the Father. Because we've often looked at our Heavenly Father through what we did not have or through uh, relationship with an earthly father. And how many know the two don't compare? God is always good and you are always loved. Your heavenly father is always good and you are always loved, no strings attached. I'm gonna try to get through this without tears, but there are allergens in the room. I know it's a newer building, but sometimes there are dust particles that get into my, you know, Uh, And we're working on that, so just bear with me. Um, To be honest with you, (laughs) thanks, Scotty. Scotty's amazing. Um, (laughs) Joe's amazing. So if you give a Kleenex to a prophet in the name of a prophet, what's what's that prophet's reward? Snot or you know, Tuesday? but it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, if you were to ask me, I would tell you um, Father's Day was always the hardest day of the year for me. I grew up without a dad. My dad died when I was six. And um, I found myself longing for a dad. I, I found myself, that was the thing I wanted the most. And, and, and I just didn't have it. And so Father's Day was hard for me. And uh, I would uh, avoid people. I would avoid church, especially uh, and I, I would just really try to, to, to avoid life. And, and I thought to myself this morning, sitting there as we were just singing that song, how amazing God is, because in America, Father's Day is in June, and in Australia, Father's Day is in September. So, so I'm actually getting two Father's Days this year. 
And the Lord does. He redeems things, doesn't he? He redeems things for us. And I found this to be true, that the Lord is an amazing God. He's an amazing healer. He's an amazing, he's an amazing friend, but he is a faithful, faithful father. I'm just going to share some things with you this morning. I believe, number one, this morning is up to interruption and disruption. I've prayed a prayer every day since uh, February 2017, and the prayer goes like this, Lord, come interrupt, disrupt, so that you can instruct. And I began to pray that prayer uh, after an encounter that I had in in Melbourne. I was teaching in a, a school of transformation, and I was teaching on the prophetic, and I was about 20 minutes into my message Uh, And suddenly in the middle of my message, I was hit in the chest with a paper airplane. Now I've taught in college and, you know, year seven through year 12. And I would expect that from year sevens to year twelves. But not in a Bible college setting. How many know what I'm talking about? Even if you're 18 in Bible college, you should have a little bit more maturity not to throw a paper airplane at the instructor, especially when he's a guest all the way from America jet lagged, right? Uh, and so I get hit in the chest with this paper airplane. It, it falls to the floor. And, and I go with my teacher training. I go into ignore mode. It's not just teacher training. It's also parent training. Like if you ignore it, it will go away. Um, and, and so I get hit in the chest with this paper airplane. Uh, I try to ignore it and teach past it. And then this voice in the room just speaks up and said, Hey, Mr. David, aren't you going to read that? And I thought, read what? And I I looked and the whole class is laughing at this whole thing. They got the memo. I didn't get the memo. But there was a young man in the room named Josiah. And Josiah had Asperger's. And um, this is what he said. Aren't you going to read that? I I said, read what? He said, the Lord told me to give you a word and send it airmail. (laughs) I thought to myself, that's probably not what God meant. He probably meant like, write it down, put it in the post, you know. But this word hits me, I, I, I oblige him, I reach down, I read it, and it is this most beautiful, power, prof- powerful, prophetic moment. And I realized I would have missed it because it didn't come in the package that I would have chosen. How many moments do we miss because we don't recognize the package? You know what I've discovered? Is the word of the Lord, prophecy and has the same power and authority whether it's spoken through a king or a pauper. Think about that a minute. It doesn't matter who speaks the word as long as God's speaking. It doesn't matter your background, your socioeconomic status, what side of the planet you were born on, who your dad is, who your mom is, what your job title is. The word of the Lord has the same power and authority whether it's spoken through a king or a pauper. Some people ask me, David, what's the greatest prophetic word you've received? Did you receive it from Bill Johnson or Heidi Baker or Randy Clark? Or they they list all the great names and, and, and I've received words from all of those guys and they've been powerful. But the greatest word I ever received was from a homeless man in Denver, Colorado, coming down from a church on a January night, it was cold, it was snowing. I was coming down the, the steps of the church and I see this man coming kind of underneath the, the spotlights in the car park towards me. Uh, and he's yelling, 
who's David, who's David, who's David? Uh, I just pointed to the pastor because he was bigger than me. Uh, and, 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 and he comes towards me. I finally own it. I say, I'm David. He's got all of his belongings. He's got his cardboard thing that he sleeps on. He's got 17 layers of clothes. He's, you know, and he just said, my name is Isaiah. And I was sleeping under the bridge over there in the old Platte river. And the Lord woke me up and told me to give you this word. He said he gave it to, to four people in the meeting, but they were too chicken to give it to you. So he woke me up to give you this word. This is what he said. I see windmills on fire, wooden shoes on fire, tulips on fire. And the Lord's going to take you to the place where your grandfather came to America from. The only place you told God you did not want to go or would never go. God is calling you there. He's going to take you into the land of the Netherlands. And you're going to begin to see a fresh reformation and a reformer's fire released uh, uh, upon your, your family tree and roots. He didn't know anything about me. Didn't know that my grandfather and grandmother had immigrated from the Netherlands to America. He, he, he didn't know any of those things, but, but God knows. Isn't that the great thing about prophecy that you walk away from a, a true prophetic word? Uh, and it's not so much about the content of the word, but it's like this, God knows me. Four months later, I was in the Netherlands for the first time with my 12-year-old son. And a revival broke out that lasted about two years. I was going every three or four weeks. As we watched hundreds of people give their life to Jesus, including Muslims and Iranians. And they started uh, services in Farsi and other things because uh, of, of the massive thing that began to go. Now, listen, I, I, it wasn't a prophetic word about ministry to me as much as it was a word about redeeming inheritance for me. It doesn't matter who speaks it as long as God said it. A little while later in that same class setting in Melbourne last year, I teach past, finally get out of the paper airplane shock. Um, and, and I'm moving in now to just more teaching and it's going really good. Everybody's behaving themselves. Uh, nobody's throwing anything at me anymore. And Josiah interrupts again. Doesn't raise his hand. He just says, Mr. Wagner, let me ask you a question. Other than Jesus Christ, who is the most important person, the most significant person on the planet. And I thought for a moment to think of some great theological thing to say. And the Lord said, tell him he is. And I said, Jojo, other than Jesus Christ, you are the most significant person on the planet. And I watched this smile hit his face and tears begin to stream down his, uh, stream down his eyes. And it was like he got it. All of the labels were like being removed from him. And he realized, I am significant in God. I'm here to tell you right now that in the eyes of your father, you are the most significant son. You are the most significant daughter on the planet. Amen? Come on, you are so significant to him, so significant to the father. Listen, I believe that today God is up to something beyond words, beyond our wildest dreams. I have this orphan spirit and in my life, I've been blessed to have my natural dad. He gave his life to the Lord about six weeks before he, he went home uh, from cancer when I was six. And 
My mom remarried a, a, a Dutchman when I was 12, and that wasn't always the best of relationships. We fought and argued a lot, but by the end of his life, he was one of my best friends and trusted confidants, and he went home around Father's Day of last year. And, and I had an amazing spiritual dad who was my pastor, and he went home around Father's Day a couple years ago, and I found all of those old festering wounds. It seems like the enemy knows exactly how to trigger your insecurities. And I came across this amazing scripture. They were the words of Jesus himself. John 14, 18, he's telling his disciples he's getting ready to to go. And he would send uh, one that would be even greater, the helper that would fill them and bring them into all truth. And he says these amazing, powerful words in John 14 and 18. He says, I will not leave you again as orphans, for I will come to you. I don't know what that does for you. But he will not leave us as orphans. In other words, he won't abandon us in our circumstance. He won't abandon us in our situation. He, he doesn't leave us alone. In fact, he knows right where to find you, even if it feels like you don't know where to find him. He said, I will come to you. We're singing a little bit of this in Psalm 68, 4 and 6. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yahweh, and rejoice before him. He is a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families, and he brings out those who are bound into prosperity. Aren't you thankful for that? He puts orphans in families. I like what our friend Leif Hetland said. He said, you cannot cast out an orphan spirit because orphan spirits have to be placed in homes. They have to be placed in families. I would dare to say this to you, that the, 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 the last hope in the earth today, the last hope, the greatest hope for Australia, the greatest hope for Brisbane and Queensland and all the nations and cities of the earth and people of the earth is this. It is the house of God. I love David's revelation. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Not into some cold, dark institution, but let us go to the place where the father lives. Come on, aren't you glad that you're living in a place today, that you're not just visiting this morning, that, that you're actually dwelling in your father's house. You actually have a room here. You actually have place here because he's created it for you. I've received some of the greatest lessons about God in life through, through my daughter and my sons. In 2004, I was just starting to travel. I just transitioned out of working full-time in the church uh, and God was opening up doors just all over the, uh, all over the U.S. and around the world. And, and uh, it was about mid-December of 2004. Um, I was going on a, to a conference up just north of New York City. And I flew out and I was halfway there in a layover and I looked to find where my gate was. And all of the flights to that city and surrounding cities, New York, Boston, whole east side of America and the north was all the flights were saying canceled, 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 canceled. Uh, a nor'easter, this storm, Arctic storm, this storm off the Atlantic came. 
uh, and snow and wind and ice. And so it shut everything down. Meetings got canceled. Ended up with 12 hours trying to get on another flight to get back home. I finally got home about two in the morning, uh, got into bed and went to sleep. And about six in the morning, my wife woke up and uh, she had a need. Ladies, uh, you can relate to this need. She had a need to go shopping. Uh, it, it was around Christmas time. And so she wakes me up. I'm, I'm going to the shops. I'm, I'm taking care of some things. And, and I said, great, you know, take the kids with you. And she said, no, you don't understand. I pray that the Lord would send you home early. And he answered even earlier than I thought. Uh, and so you are going to stay home with the kids. Now, being the king of my castle, the ruler of my roost, the man who wears the pants, I said, yes, dear. Uh, because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody going to be happy. Bad English, great theology and reality. Come on, somebody. Um, and all the ladies said, amen. What, what? And, um, and, and so she goes off to the shops. Me and the kids have some morning cuddles. I, um, I get up, I make pancakes. We have a great time. And all of a sudden, uh, as usual, uh, in ministry, you're never off duty. Somebody's crisis became my emergency. My phone rings. And I want to be a great minister, but I also want to be a great dad. So I went to my five-year-old daughter and I said, honey, I need you to do me a favor. And I need you to watch your little brothers. They were three and one and a half. Uh, and, and so if they get in any trouble, you just come and get me and I'll, I'll, I'll sort it out. So I go in the room and I'm praying and I, I think, you know, they get delivered, set free, glory clouds fill their room and my room. I don't remember what happened. It's probably pretty good though. Uh, and, but I emerge from the room after about 10 or 15 minutes of ministry on the phone and come out of my bedroom into our lounge area and everything was okay. But then I turned into the kitchen and then I saw it. And it is the only way to describe what I saw. My beautiful, amazing boys, three and 18 months, Benjamin and Caleb, had gotten into the refrigerator and grabbed 18 raw eggs. And they smashed them all over each other, all over the floor, all over the cupboards. And it didn't stop there. They found some chocolate powder. And so this ooey, gooey, eggy, chocolatey mess was everywhere. All along, my daughter was playing Barbies in the other room. <laughs> Two emotions hit me in the moment. The first emotion was fear <laughs> because mama was coming home. And the second emotion that hit me was anger because I was going to have to clean it all up. And I blew it, man. I blew it as a Christian. I blew it certainly as a preacher. But worse yet, I blew it as a dad. And I just did what I knew. And that's just the louder you are, the more drama that creates and the worse the kids feel and the better you'll feel. Not really, but you think so. And I asked a question. I didn't ask, ask it. I screamed a question that probably all of us have heard some point in our life, whether a teacher or a parent or a friend or some person in life. And I just got down and I got into Benjamin's face as a three-year-old boy. And I said, who do you think you are? And he looked up at me with his beautiful, big brown eyes like I was stupid. And he said, dad, I Benjamin. 
I heard son of my right hand, but um, but I realized something in that moment. The Lord spoke these words to me. Ah, oh, son, he knows more at three than you know at 33. He knows who he is and he knows who his dad is. And if you know who you are and whose you are, everything else gets sorted out. Who do you think you are? I think the world wants to know if you know who you are. Because according to Romans 8, all of creation is longing, waiting for the revelation of sons and daughters of God. I think the enemy wants to know if you know who you are, because if you know who you are, he knows he has to leave you alone. But as long as you stay in identity crisis, he'll just mess with you. I think God's waiting for you to know who you really are, because if you know who really know who you really are, then you know what you really have. I love that Benjamin kid. I shared the other day in the conference that my wife and I conceived him out of wedlock and how I stood up at my wedding and I declared that today I'm marrying my best friend. And we fell, but and she's pregnant, but I'm not marrying her because she's pregnant. I'm marrying her because I love her. And the son she's carrying is not a problem or an accident. He is a promise and a purpose from God. We will name him Benjamin David. He will be the son of my right hand and a man after God's own heart. I will tell you this, that he was not born in shame, but he was born in destiny. And I've watched this young man's life just be so pure before the Lord. He's now taller than me, two inches taller than me. He has this amazing pure heart. And when he was about 10 years old, he came to me crying one day. He said, Daddy, I don't want to go to Christian school anymore. I want to go to public school. And I said, why, why do you want to do that, son? And I used to run the Christian school, so I have favor there. We can travel, all this thing. He said, Daddy, I have a word over my life. And the word is that I'm supposed to be light. And I don't want to be light around another light. That's boring. I want to be light in darkness. So after some prayer, we sent him and his little brother to public school and all of a sudden, teachers were sending notes home and said, I don't know what you've done to this kid, but he finds the one sitting by themselves and he goes and he sits with them and he plays with them. And he starts leading people to the Lord and teachers to the Lord. And one day I'm out of town, I'm in another city and my phone rings and he said, Dad, what are you preaching tonight? I said, I told him. He said, no, 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 don't preach that, Dad, preach healing. I said, all right. I said, why? And he said, I, I, I was, uh, before school today, I was reading my Bible and I came across the scripture in Matthew, I think 4, 22 or 23. It says, and Jesus was moved with great compassion. He went throughout all of Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria, healing all that were sick and afflicted of the devil. He said, Dad, we were playing on the playground. My friend Adam started screaming and blood was coming out of his ear and the teachers were running him in the office. So I just ran with him. I laid my hands on him and said, in the name of Jesus. Uh, and, and he said, the bleeding stopped and the pain disappeared. And Daddy, they took him, took him to the hospital and he used to have tubes in his ears. But when they got him to the hospital, the doctor said, I don't know what happened, but it's like you have brand new eardrums and tubes. In year eight, he had this teacher he didn't like him very much. His name was Mr. Lowe. He was the language arts, the English teacher, and he was always sarcastic and acted like he didn't like the kids much. One day in class, Ben is sitting there and he's, he's, he's sitting there and he's, they're taking a test 
And he finishes the test and the Lord speaks to Ben. I want you to pray for him. So he's sitting there and he's saying, Lord, touch Mr. Lowe. And the Lord said, not like that. You have to go up to him. And he said, but, but Jesus, Mr. Lowe has a rule that nobody can approach the desk unless they're invited. So if you want, uh, if you want me to do that, he's going to have to invite us up there. He said, Dad, about three minutes. He said, Mr. Lowe said, uh, if anybody has any questions, you can come up here. He said, so I went up there and Mr. Lowe asked me, um, how can I help you, Ben? And, and I said, it's not about me, sir. It's about you. Can I talk to you in the hallway? And he takes Mr. Lowe out in the hallway and God speaks these words to Benjamin. And he looks at this teacher that he didn't like in the eyes. And he said, Mr. Lowe, what happened to you two and a half years ago that broke your heart and put a hole in your soul? And Mr. Lowe began to weep. And he said, uh, my partner, my spouse died two and a half years ago and I've been broken hearted ever since. And he said, Mr. Lowe, what if I told you I had something or rather someone that could fill every hole and void in your soul and in your heart and you would never hurt again? Would you want that? And he said, Mr. Lowe dropped to his knees and gave his life to Jesus. And then Benjamin starts prophesying to him about him being, he said, your name is no longer Mr. Lowe. It's going to be Mr. High. That was a given one. That was a freebie. Amen. <laughs> uh, and he just starts just ministering to him. And he pauses and said, and he said, all the rest of the days of your life, it will be said of you, Mr. Lowe, that you are a man after God's own heart. And he said, Daddy, Mr. Lowe reached in his back pocket and he pulled out his wallet. I said, dang, man, he gave you a love offering? <laughs> he said, no, Dad. He pulled out a piece of paper that his mom wrote. His mom had died 15 years prior. And her last note to her son was, son, you can run and you can hide and you can drink. And you could do whatever you want to do, but by the time, by the end of your life, it will be said of you. You will be known as a man after God's own heart. He said, Dad, the atmosphere changed. And for the rest of the year, Mr. Lowe's demeanor changed. And here's how he taught language arts. He had them read through Proverbs and Psalms. And one day, somebody asked Mr. Lowe what he thought was beautiful. And this is what Mr. Lowe said. The word is beautiful. The word is beautiful. He's gone on now to be a principal of another middle school, walking with the Lord. Everything I needed to know, I learned from a little boy who knew who he was. Not too long ago, I, I guess Caleb, he's now 16, so about 13 years ago, our whole family was in this little town in Alabama ministering. Great morning service. At the end of the service, the pastor introduced me to his best friend. He said, this is my best friend and head deacon. And I shook the guy's hand and the guy began to convulse and demons started pouring out of the guy. And I'm thinking, yeah, I don't look like a deacon, looks more like a demon. And he's, you know, he's slithering on the ground and foaming. It was, it was an awful thing. And for 30 minutes, me and the pastor are binding, we're loosing, we're casting out, we're anointing with oil, we're, you know, we're screaming, we're yelling, we're and praying in tongues, we're begging, all, all this stuff to get this thing to leave. And after about 30 minutes, my son Caleb pulls back, pulls away from my wife from the soundboard and comes running up the front. As he's running up the front, the guy goes, rawr, at me. 
And Caleb gets up to the guy. He looks at him. He goes, you're not going to growl at my daddy in the name of Jesus. Come out. And the thing left. And and I, I, I said, bro, where were you like 30 minutes ago? And he said, eating chicken. And I learned something. If you just have the faith of a child, if you just have childlike faith, even demons will flee from you. My beautiful daughter at seven, we had just lost a baby. My wife was seven and a half months pregnant and the baby died in vitro and we had to give birth to this dead baby. And I had a word over that baby. I actually announced it publicly over my wife in a church on a Sunday night. And the word was the daughter you're carrying uh, the baby you're carrying is going to be a daughter. She's going to be a praise and worship leader. We're going to name her Rama Joy because the word brings joy. And um, she's going to dance. And When the baby died, the enemy just wreaked havoc on me. Like, what are you going to do now that the baby's dead? When we went home that day to tell the kids there wouldn't be a little sister, Caleb was crying and Ben said, you know, sometimes Jesus sends dead people back like that lazy guy in the Bible. I'm talking about Lazarus. And, and Era just starts crying out. Mommy, Davey, Jesus didn't lie to you. He didn't lie to you. I see her, I see her. The baby you won't hold, he's going to hold. She doesn't grow up on earth. She grows up in heaven. And I see her, I see her. Jesus is pushing her on a golden swing set. And she gets to live and grow up with all the kids who died in their mommy's tummies. Mommy, Davey, Jesus didn't lie to you. I see her, I see her. I see her dancing around the throne of God. I see her singing personally to Jesus. She's not a praise and worship leader or a dancer in the earth. She's a praise and worship leader in heaven. Jesus didn't lie to you. Jesus didn't lie to you. And everything I needed to learn about life, I learned through the eyes of innocence through the eyes of the perspective of a child who didn't know but to trust in the goodness and the loving kindness of God. We buried that baby on a Friday and she was beautiful, man. She had beautiful long black hair. This beautiful head of black hair, perfect toes and fingers. And I would mark that as probably one of the hardest days of my life. Sunday came. My wife wasn't up to it, but I took the kids to church and turned out to be baby dedication Sunday. When I'm home, I dedicate all the babies. That day there were eight. It's one of the hardest days to do my job, but I did my job. And I went back and I sat in the front row of the church and I was going to my seat. We had a guest preacher that day named Dwayne Allen. He was the healing evangelist, A.A. Allen's great nephew. Before I could sit down, he grabbed me by my shoulders and he said, look at me, man of God, look at me. And I looked him in the eyes and he said, the Lord wants to know what you want. You want boys, you want girls, you want twins, you want triplets. And I acted like I was going through the drive-thru of Mackers. I just said, I'll take two more boys, a Joshua and an Isaac. 
Uh, and I, I couldn't tell my wife because we had a conversation and, and she made the sign of scissors. I don't know what that meant, but I'm sure it was going to be very painful <laughs> and, and most likely unbiblical. Um, it was... And I hid the word in my heart and I, I went, just we continued with life and it wasn't an easy season, but God was faithful in it because the Bible says in Psalm 117 that he draws near to the brokenhearted. And he drew near in that season. I went to Columbia, South America on a missions trip and I came back home and my wife told me she was pregnant and it was amazing. We found out she had a boy. It was a perfect pregnancy, nine months. We had to overcome fear. Every time you go to the sonogram, you're afraid that you're going to see something. Uh, you know, you're going to see the baby without the heartbeat, but, but God's faithful. And on November 1st, 2005, it's time for Joshua to be born. And we're in the hospital and they've induced her and everything's going smooth. And all of a sudden, right around the transition, bells and whistles go off. And doctors come running in, nurses come in. And they said, there's a problem. We've lost the heartbeat uh, and, and we got to get him out now. And they do what they have to do. And the baby comes out, but he's not breathing. The cords wrapped around his neck three times. So I did what I only knew to do. I grabbed his toes and I wouldn't let go. For five minutes, I looked at my baby that was lifeless. And in that moment, all I had was the word of the Lord. I just had the promise of the Lord. I just said, Lord, I didn't ask for this. You asked me what I wanted. I said, I'll take two more boys. And this is one of them. So I just declare not this time. I'm going to speak life. And I just declare you're going to live and not die. You're going to prophesy. Declare the word of the Lord. And for five minutes, they worked on him trying to get me to get out of the way. But I wouldn't let go of his toe. And after five minutes, he let out the loudest scream I've ever heard. And in that moment, I made a covenant, not before, but after. Lord, no matter how loud he gets, I promise I'll never complain about it. Man, do I, re- do I regret that covenant. <laughs> he is my loudest boy, man. He is loud. He is a dreamer. If he doesn't feel like he's being heard, he just gets louder. He walks loud. He talks loud. He plays loud. He... He's learning trumpet and violin, and that's loud. And, and I lay next to him at night, and he tells me about dreams, how God's taken him to heaven, and how he saw his little sister, and, or his big sister, and all, all of these things. And I've taught him that he, every day of his life, I tell him, Joshua Timothy Wagner, you are my miracle boy. And he actually believes me. He really does. When he was about four or five, I was preparing for a conference at our church, and the name of the conference or the theme that year was Hope Rising. It's about six in the morning, I'm working on some notes for the conference, and he wakes up early, and he comes in for a cuddle. And he snuggles into my arm, into my recliner with me, and pushes my computer out of the way, and he starts kissing me on the cheeks, and butterfly kisses, and Eskimo kisses with his nose, and and he's got horrific morning breath. I mean, halitosis, just, and he's like, I love you. You're the best dad in the whole world. I love you, dad. I, I love you too, son. And I realized after a few moments, I, the spirit of discernment hits me that he's, he's getting ready to ask me something. And at six o'clock, he just says, hey, dad, mom's still asleep. I said, I know she's still asleep. He said, so can I have a popsicle? (laughs) I said, no, son, it's six in the morning. You can't have a popsicle. And he cuddles some more, waits about five minutes, butterfly kisses, Eskimo kisses. Dad, I love you. You're handsome. 
handsome. You're humble. The most accurate prophet I've ever heard. Mom's still asleep. Can I have a popsicle? No, you can't have a popsicle. Every five minutes. Finally, at 7 a.m., he says, Dad, Mom's still asleep. You're the best dad in the whole world. I, I said, I know all that. So can I have a popsicle? I said, you can't have a popsicle. He said, but Daddy, I feel hope rising. And I said, go in there and get you a popsicle and bring me one as well. My, my mom never let me have one before noon either. And, and we had a Holy Ghost popsicle party. Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost popsicle party. Oh, no, no. That's it. And... And I learned something. This is what the Lord taught me in that moment. Now, now you may call that manipulation. I, I call it faith for the sake of this message. Are you hearing me? <laughs> you know what he was saying to me? Dad, I know you can. And if you can, I know you will. I believe the Lord would rather have us question his can than his will. A couple of years ago, so I begin to close. That means you have about 17 minutes, really. No, three, three minutes. Um, he has this, um, he's out playing in the backyard on the trampoline. My wife and daughter are out shopping. I'm supposed to be watching the boys. The boys are in the backyard on the trampoline. What could go wrong, right? Um, as they're jumping, I'm, uh, I'm distracted. I am on Instagram watching you live your life vicariously through social media. Like, oh, wow, I love that piece of cake they're showing me. Here's another picture of their dog and another picture of their dog and another picture of their dog. And, right? and, and, and I'm just distracted. And all of a sudden the door flings open and Josh runs in. He's crying and he's screaming and quite dramatic. Caleb broke my arm. He broke my freaking arm. And I said, where did you learn how to talk Aussie? Uh, and he, he, and his arms kind of dangling like this and they're on the trampoline and Caleb did a wrestling move that they weren't trained for and dropped his little brother on said trampoline and he landed and broke his, you know, just his arm. And so his arm was kind of like this and I looked at it and I went dad mode like, Hey, bag of frozen green beans and uh, you know, a little prayer and cuddle and he'll be fine. And, and wisdom came to me in the voice of my 16 year old. And he said, dad, uh, don't you think you should probably take him to the hospital? And I said, that sounds like wisdom to me. And so I brought him out to my ute and I, I buckled him in and wisdom again came to me in the voice of my 16 year old. Um, Dad, don't you think you should call mom? Should you call mom or should I? And I, I thought to myself, she really doesn't need to know about this. Um, <laughs> so I called her, I said, babe, I'm on my way to the hospital with Josh, don't worry. I think he just, you know, he might've sprained his arm, you know, something might, you know, just, minor it's not that bad and, and she said, send me a picture I'm like no baby I'm driving I can't really take a picture right now she's like what happened I, they were playing on the trampoline he somehow fell you know caught himself and well she goes well where were you and I said baby this is not about me this is about our son and walk into the to the emergency room and the the nurse triage nurse looked at him and goes oh and uh, they didn't even put us in the waiting room brought us right back and Nurses, PAs, they're, they're all coming and they're saying, okay, yeah, we need to get him on some pain medication. Oh, yeah, this is, yeah, it's going to be surgery. The orthopedic surgeon's coming out of one surgery now and we should be able to just kind of prep him. And this is all before an x-ray. And I'm thinking, slow down. And my kid's saying, uh, I'm not having surgery. And I said, son, you know, these are great doctors. You know, they, they, you know, they've seen these all the time. He said, no, dad, you don't understand. I'm not having surgery. And 
I said, well, let's just them down. Let's get an x-ray. And they come in x-ray, three breaks, one below the elbow, one on the elbow, one above the elbow. And the orthopedic is, you know, coming in and he's explaining how he's doing plates and screws and pins. And my son's saying, dad, I'm not having surgery. And I said, son, God uses doctors and it's going to be all right. And Lord, just release peace over him. And he grabs me by my shirt and he said, father, he's never called me father. Dad, daddy pops, but never father. He said, father, look at me in the eyes. And I looked at my 11 year old boy in the eyes. And he said, what have you called me every day of my life? He said, Joshua, Timothy Wagner, you are my miracle boy. And he said, so why is today different than any other day? I don't need you to pray some mamby-pamby prayer that God, thank you for the doctors and the surgeons and for, I don't need you to say, Lord, if it be thou thy will, like he's, he's mocking me. He said, I need you to pray like you prayed the day that I was born and I wasn't breathing. That's how I need you to pray right now. So I prayed and I asked the doctor, I said, doc, I know this is going to sound crazy. Will you do another x-ray? He's like, I don't know why you want another x-ray. It's very clear. Look, break, break, break. And, 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 you know, I'm going to scrub in, we're going to have surgery. And I said, look, he's saying he's going to do surgery, Josh. And, and, and I'm sure he does this all the time. I said, doc, you do this all the time. He said, oh yeah, I did three today. He said, see dad, I'm not having surgery. He's tired. <laughs> he said, you pray again. I, I prayed again and finally convinced the doctor to do another x-ray. And when he did another x-ray, the bone was perf perfectly set and no surgery was required. He went home in a sling. Two weeks later, he's playing like nothing happened. And I learned something. I learned something. I learned there's no such thing as a little miracle. And I learned as a father, I, I have positional authority in my house. I'm telling you right now, dad's in the room. There's some great gifts you can give your kids. Probably the greatest gift you can give your kids is how you love your wife, how you love their mother. The second greatest gift is how you pray over them. Because I'm telling you right now, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And I'm here to tell you as I end this message today, that there's childlike faith coming for fathers. And I believe that this is a house of faithful fathers. I believe that the men of God in this house are gonna be strong. And I'm excited when I look out over this room, I see men of all ages in this room. I see families that are intact sitting together. It tells me something, that this is what a healthy church looks like. I'm here to tell you right now on this great Father's Day, the Father is coming. There is a great movement of fatherhood. There is a fatherhood initiative that is coming across the nation of, of Australia. Are you hearing me? And I believe right now, as I close, I'm two minutes and 45 seconds over, and I'm ending with this prophecy, that you're about to participate and be a part of what I would call the Malachi miracle. That the anointing to turn the hearts of fathers to children and the children back to their fathers is upon you. A church of burning hearts and a city of turning hearts. The anointing of burning hearts and turning hearts is coming upon you. And I believe on this great Father's Day, the Father of glory is in this room to pour out blessing upon you and breakthrough upon you. 
gonna ask you just to close your eyes and bow your head with me this morning. I wanna thank you for listening. I wanna honor your time. It's Father's Day. You should have lunch with your dads. You should be celebrated. If you have father wounds today, I believe there's healing for you. He healed this orphan spirit. He, he took this orphan. He took this solitary man and placed me in a family. A few years ago, my two oldest boys, Ben and Caleb, came to me and they asked, Dad, will you go throw the ball with us? And I said, son, I'm just busy, maybe in a little bit. And they walked away disappointed. I looked at the clock. It was 4.44 in the afternoon and on January 11, 2014. And the Lord said, you might as well go. You'll never have this moment again. You'll never have this second. You'll never have this minute. You might as well go. And I went and I threw the ball with my sons. And while we're throwing the ball, they began to ask me questions. Dad, how many times you throw the baseball with your dad? I said, I threw the baseball with my dad one time. I overthrew the ball, went in the weeds. He couldn't find it. He got mad, threw the glove down on the ground. It rained that night, ruined his glove, and he blamed me for it. How many times you throw the football with your dad? I said, I never threw the football with my dad. How many times did your dad take you fishing? I said, my dad never took me fishing. My son just said these words to me. Dad, thanks for becoming everything you never had but always wanted. And I realized something. There comes a moment in life where you stop looking and you just start being. And I believe right now we can't change our past. But we can't let our past destroy our future. There's some of you maybe in the room today, you grew up without a dad or maybe your dad was abusive. Maybe he was absent. Maybe he was present but not present. Maybe he didn't know how to bless you. Maybe he didn't know how to love you. Or maybe you have the best dad in the whole world. Maybe there's a part of you, you didn't have something and you've been looking for it your whole life. I would challenge you, what if today you became everything you never had but always wanted? If you're in the room today, he's a good, good father. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, the greatest gift you can give to him on Father's Day is you. He doesn't want anything from you, he just wants you. The Bible says in the book of Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's just bad news. It really means we all deserve to die and go to hell. But the good news is while we were yet sinners, Christ came and he died for us. John 3:16 says these words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that who would ever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For the son of man did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. I'm here to tell you that today the Father, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit have mercy on their mind for us this morning. I was an orphan. He brought me into family. I was a sinner. He gave me salvation. I was broken. He gave me healing. I was out of my mind, and He healed my mind and gave me the mind of Christ. It was the greatest decision I ever made. If you're here today on this Father's Day, September 2nd, 2018 and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior the Bible says whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and there's no other name under heaven or on the earth by which a man can be saved other than the name of Jesus today if you call on his name he'll come he'll answer he'll he'll wipe away your sin debt He, he paid a debt he did not owe he paid a price you could never pay he gave himself for you The Bible says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then you become children of God. If you're in this room with every eye closed, every head bowed, you're here this morning, 
and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it'd be a great day to give your life to him on this great Father's Day. He doesn't want anything from you. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm asking you one question. Do you know Jesus? Or maybe you once knew him, you once walked with him, had fellowship with him, maybe even served him, maybe you were even in ministry, but you find yourself away from him. I will tell you this, that there's nothing you can do to get God to change his mind about you. He just loves you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you any less. He just loves you. If you don't know Jesus this morning or you find yourself away from God, maybe in a backslidden state, you said, today I've come and I want to get right with God. I want to get it right with God. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. If you want me to include you in that prayer, I want you just to put your hand up and you put it right back down. David, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus. See your hands over there. See your hand here. Lord, I thank you for the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we can't even come to you unless the Holy Spirit draws you. So Jesus, thank you for revealing yourself through Holy Spirit this morning. Jesus, we want to see the Father. And you said if we've seen you, we've seen the Father. If you're in the front, I'm going to ask you to do something. And that's just lift your hands. International sign of surrender. It means I give up. But a better way for me is this. I finally go home tomorrow. And when I hit my house about 9.15 on Monday night, pull in my driveway. My, my 10 year old's gonna be watching out the window and as soon as I hit the driveway, he's gonna come running out as fast as he can and he will jump into my arms with his hands lifted. That's how you're coming to Jesus this morning. You're coming to him with your hands lifted. You're jumping into the arms of a good, good father today. This is the greatest present, the greatest gift you could ever give the father on Father's Day. I'm gonna ask those of you in the front especially uh, those of you in the front, but all of us in the room, I'd ask for the privilege of you praying this out loud with us this morning. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you are the Son of God. You died on the cross for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I admit I'm a sinner. I've broken your law and your heart. But today I believe I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. You are my perfect savior. Jesus, come into my life. Wash me in your precious blood. Cleanse me from all my sin and make me brand new. Jesus, I declare right now that today is the day that everything changes. I give you my past, my present, and my future. Come live in me, Jesus. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and be my very best friend. And I will live for you the rest of the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, will you give God a shout of praise? It's the greatest miracle you'll ever see. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.